Welcome to the Sterling Foursquare Church Podcast. Our mission is to offer hope for the broken, lives that are thriving, the equipping of believers, and the launching of leaders. More info can be found at sterlingfoursquare.com. Thank you for joining us today. We are starting a new sermon series this morning entitled Raise Your Voice. And I don't know what kind of comes to mind or how you would immediately respond to that type of a thing. Uh, But we're going to be talking about what it looks like to raise our voice in a way where we're honoring the Lord and where we are declaring His goodness and where we are partnering in the things of the kingdom of God. And before we kind of get into that and walk through uh, a progression in in this series, I want to begin in Luke chapter 6. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus is uh, teaching a larger gathering of His disciples. Certainly the tight 12 are there, but there's a larger group in this context And he begins to talk about how you can recognize uh, people by the fruit that is produced in their life. In fact, he he brings this idea that a a bad tree produces bad fruit and a good tree produces good fruit and the vice versa doesn't happen. And he moves from that to begin to talk about uh, people and how we participate in the lives that we're living. And in verse 45, he says, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. And so he begins to kind of bring out this idea of of what type of fruit, what type of product is the result of the way that we're living our lives, uses this analogy of a tree and its fruit, and then talks about the goodness or the badness of a person being something that is put on display in the activity of their life. But then he focuses in on this next statement that uh, gets very, very narrow and draws our attention to something that is of real import in our walk and participation with the Lord. And it says this, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And so as Jesus begins to kind of lay out this idea that our, the, the fruit of our life is going to be something that uh, really betrays what is inside of us, both good or bad, it kind of brings that to light. But then he focuses on this, that uh, we would tend to think of the activity, we would tend to think of the things that we're doing or the way that we are exercising our agency in the world, but he moves right to what comes out of our mouth which can be a little bit unguarded and unprotected, right? At times there, there seems to be stuff that kind of comes out of our mouth maybe without thought, uh, maybe without filter. Uh, it's kind of an easy thing for us to kind of see and recognize, but there's something important that is being highlighted here. It's, it's not as much of, hey, you just need to guard your mouth or watch what you're saying. There is a spiritual truth that is being highlighted here that the... Uh, uh, there is a direct link between the things that we say and the way that we exercise our voice and what we truly hold and believe and have resident in our lives. And one of the things that comes out of this understanding is how important your voice is, how important the way that you communicate is. Not not just your voice, like whether or not you've got like a good voice or a melodic voice or you're well-spoken or it's loud or it's soft or it's quiet or it's higher, it's squeaky. Not, not as much the determinant of that, but the idea that how and what you communicate is really, really 
important. And it actually underscores the idea that one of the most important gifts that God has given you to steward for his glory and for his kingdom really is your voice. And there's a direct link between what is truly going on inside of me, what is truly going on inside of you, and what ends up becoming communicated to the world around us, both with our words and then in the other ways that we're able to do that. And your voice, my voice, our voice, it's, it's the most uh, simple and immediate way that we can respond to who Jesus is and what he's done. When we think about Jesus, when we focus on him, when we're drawn our attention to him, when the Lord moves in our life and we're drawn to respond, the, the easiest, simplest, quickest way for us to do that would be with our voice. And we, we can offer worship, we can shout out and praise, we can offer thanksgiving for his goodness, or even in times of difficulty or desperation, we can cry out in prayer and we can, we can ask for rescue and, and we can invite his salvation that there's this ability for us to respond and to uh, uh, speak out, to cry out, to shout out, to sing out, but to exercise our voice in a way that interacts our relationship with the Lord and draws us to a response. And then certainly that would impact the activity of our life as well. But what's being underscored and what Jesus is saying here is a deep connection between what comes out of my mouth and what is resident within my person. And we're gonna walk through a series of weeks where we are gonna discover how to raise our voice, how to exercise our voice in a way where we're partnering with the things of God, where we are speaking in faith the truth uh, of God, where we are offering praise and worship and exclamation, but where we're beginning to raise our voice with effect for the things of God. Now, we're gonna pause for a minute. I want you to think about this question. When was the last time you raised your voice. When, when was the last time you raised your voice? For some of you, maybe this weekend, you were at one of the local athletic contests, right? We had state football, we had uh, regional volleyball, we had all kinds of stuff going on. Maybe you were there in attendance, maybe you knew somebody, or it was your alma mater, your school, and you were raising your voice, you were shouting out, right? Maybe in victory, maybe you lost, right? You're just like, boo, you guys stink, right? I don't know what you were doing at the game, but somebody does. Right, so maybe it was something, something like that. Maybe, maybe you went to a concert this weekend or in the past couple of weeks and you were raising your voice to the songs that you knew, like the ones that were the, the ones that you sing alone in your car with the windows rolled up, you know, because you care about the world around you. You're supposed to love your neighbor and you're like, the best way for me to do that is to not subject them to this. But something maybe along the lines of, of that, maybe you raised your voice to call your kids into dinner, or maybe you just raised your voice at your kids in general. Parents, right? There's times where we have to do that. Maybe you hollered at your dog or your livestock, something along those lines. Maybe it was anger. Maybe it was conflict. Maybe the last time you raised your voice, what came out was, was anger, and maybe what came out wasn't really God-honoring. Uh, maybe you raised your voice on the way to church, right? That happens sometimes. We're just like, oh man, I got to get to church even faster now because I got some stuff that the Lord has to deal with. What, when was the last time that you raised your voice? Most of us can relate to those contexts, right? You're watching a game, you're watching a contest, you're at a concert, you're hollering for your kids or you're responding in anger. It seems that in those contexts, it's really easy for us to find our voice, to raise it, and to exercise it. And what's really interesting to me is for many of us, when it comes to things that are spiritual, 
we have a hard time finding our voice. That when it comes to kind of worshiping the Lord, that, that we love to listen to worship music, but maybe not add our voice to it. And that can be at home in just a context, hey, you know, I'm just not a singer. Or that could be within the group or the corporate congregation where it's just like, well, you know, I just, I don't really want to be a distraction. Sometimes we have a hard time raising our voice in praise, giving testimony to the things that God has done, maybe, maybe speaking about our faith or reinforcing that. Um, for, for many of us, when it comes to prayer, it's easy for us to pray in our heads and maybe in our hearts, but to kind of get words out. We feel like we've got to be better, uh, vo- have a better vocabulary, we've got to be more spiritual, or maybe we've got to be more eloquent. What, what's really interesting to me is how easy it is for me to raise my voice in anger or in excitement at a game, and how challenging it can be to do that same activity when it comes to things that are spiritually significant. And I, I want to ask you another question. Why do you think that is? Why do you think it's easier for you to holler at a football game than it is for you to lift your voice in worship? Why do you think it's easier to respond with a harsh word when you're angry than it is for you to raise your voice in prayer? Why do you think that is? For many of us, like our first thought is gonna be something that there's something wrong with us, right? We're gonna immediately feel less than Uh, or we're gonna make excuses for, but I would let you know that I think it's because your voice is spiritually significant. If you remember what Jesus said, out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks. There's a direct correlation between how I speak, what I speak, when I do it, with what's going on inside of me. And as much as the Lord would invite you to interact with him by raising your voice, there is also an enemy of your soul that would look to muzzle your mouth, to keep you silent, to rob you of your breath of worship, to put a cap on your praise, to silence your prayers, to privatize your testimony, to look to, in many ways, keep you quiet. And this morning, as we begin this series, what I wanna suggest to you is that one of the most um, primary ways, or or one of the uh, um, first places that we see that take place is in our ability to just honor God with our worship. That the enemy would look to silence you in that place, to muzzle your voice and to cloud your heart, and that what you and I need to be responding to is an invitation from the Lord to be moved by His Spirit to raise our voice in a way that honors and worships Him. If you've got your Bible, go ahead and get that out. If you've got your smartphone or your tablet, I want to invite you to go ahead and open that up. If you don't have a, a a Bible app on your smartphone or your tablet. You can download it right now. Before I'm done praying, you should be able to have it on your phone or your tablet. So really no excuses. Lord, we ask that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you would speak to us through your word today. Lord, and and we often pray that. We invite you to soften our hearts. We invite you uh, to help us 
um, respond to your word and for it to take root and hold in our lives. But Lord, more than just opening our eyes and opening our ears, Lord, we ask that you would open our mouths today as well. Lord, that there would be something in our hearts and our minds that would be unstopped so that when we go to offer worship, when we go to offer praise, when we go to offer thanksgiving, when we come to you in prayer, Lord, that it would move from just a thought, but it would come out of our hearts and out of our mouths as we would connect with you. Lord, move us in that way. Give us open eyes, open ears, and an open mouth today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to be in Luke chapter 19, so if you want to go ahead and get there, we're going to spend our time focusing on just a small section of verses in Luke chapter 19. And one of the reasons why we're going to spend our time starting here is because it gives a very practical picture of what it looks like when there is opposition to our worship and our praise when there's opposition to our worship and our praise. And regardless of whether you love music or it's kind of a little bit of a slog for you, whether you like to sing out loud or whether you only like to do that alone um, uh, or, or kind of in the car, whether you are part of a choir and you are proud of your voice or whether that's not the case, there will always be opposition when you look to worship the Lord. There will always be something that looks to somehow distract you, to pull you off course, somehow uh, pull your attention away, or to put a muzzle over your mouth in order to keep that from happening, because it is very significant what takes place in you and I when we actually move into that type of practice. And in Luke chapter 19, it's uh, a narrative that gives a very, very clear and very, very easy, accessible picture of what that looks like and how we are to respond to that. So in Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 37, we're gonna read in just a moment. But the background on this is, if you've got a, a Bible that has kind of sections in it, your section might say the triumphal entry here. Uh, a lot of them will. And all four gospels record this event. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all focus in on this. This is Jesus's entrance into Jerusalem. <laughs> to celebrate Passover, and this is the week where he goes to the cross, where he goes to the tomb, and where he uh, rises in glory. And so this is all transpiring, and he is on his way there. He's on his way to Jerusalem uh, to uh, celebrate Passover, and there is great fanfare and expectation. Everybody knows that Jesus is coming, Everybody's heard that he's on the way. There's a whole group of people traveling with him. So there's a crowd that has gathered with him on his journey and they are coming out of the city as well because they've heard that he is on arrival. And all four gospels give kind of different pictures and different interactions of how this is taking place. One of the gospels says that they're laying out kind of a, a, a royal roadway for him where they're laying their coats and they're putting palm fronds down. Palm Sunday is how we celebrate that others would talk about what is being spoken and what is being said and shouted and sung, and then others would highlight on some of the individual exchanges there. And one of the things that Luke does for us is he makes it very poignant, the opposition to the worship of Jesus as the Messiah uh, as, as to what that looks like. And so that's where we are. We're going to start in verse 37. It says, when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, 
teacher, rebuke your disciples. That's a fancy way of saying, hey, teacher, tell them to shut up. Tell them to, this is a cease and desist order. And this wasn't an invitation to a conversation. This was kind of a direct command from them in a sense of how Jesus was supposed to read what was happening and what he was supposed to respond to. And Jesus' response to them was very short. He says, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Some of your translations will say, if they keep quiet, the very rocks of the ground will cry out in praise. And so that gives you the picture and the background of what is taking place here. And what you see in essence in this little exchange is a conflict between what it looks like to try to worship God and the opposition that comes to meet it. And the goal of the opposition is always the, it's always the same. It's to silence the worship. The goal of the opposition is always the same. It is to silence the worship. And what we're gonna look at just briefly here is we're gonna look at three things, three things that are the result of this type of activity. Uh, it's not the only things that are helpful or uh, uh, the result of this, but there are three in this text that are very helpful. And then we're gonna consider three ways that the opposition looks to silence your voice and then how we are to respond to those things. The first thing that you see here is you see that Jesus is coming, he's coming with not just his disciples, but the larger gathering of disciples, and then there's a crowd that has kind of joined him, and again, if you're looking at the other three gospels along with Luke, you're gonna see that people are going with him, people are coming out, there's like this culmination of a crowd all coming together, and there is expectation, there's fanfare, and there's excitement, and there is worship being offered to God and to Jesus, that the Father is being honored and so is the Son, and everybody is uh, coming with a few things in mind. One is there is this attention that is being given. There's this attention that is being given. And when you and I, when we cry out in worship, when we sing out in praise, this is so important, the first thing that ends up happening in us is our eyes are fixed on Jesus. Our eyes are fixed on Jesus. Our eyes are lifted off our circumstances, lifted off of our difficulties, lifted off of our experiences, and they are put on the one, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And what you have here is everybody's attention was now focused on Jesus as the Messiah. And that was the first strike as far as the Pharisees were concerned. They had a problem with this attention. They had a problem with this fanfare. They had a problem with this thought. And it was something that they couldn't reconcile because they, were, uh, they had eyes that didn't see and ears that didn't hear. Because of the hardness of their heart, they couldn't recognize who Jesus was for who he was. And so this was their first problem with this. But when you and I, when we cry out in praise, when we cry out in worship, our attention is fixed on the Lord. And this is why it is so important for you and I to do that. I don't know if you've given a lot of thought or consideration to why when we gather, why do we sing songs together? Right? Why do we worship in that way together? It's not the only way to worship. Certainly you worship through prayer. Certainly you worship through interacting with the Word of God. You worship through listening. You worship through being led by the Spirit. It's not the only activity of worship, but it is something that is important corporately for us to do. Why do we do that? Because when we gather, we come in with all of our stuff. 
You've got all of what your last week just did to you, and then you're carrying a lifetime of stuff behind you, and you bring all of that with you into the presence of God, and it's super easy to get circled back onto those problems, onto those failures, onto those shortcomings. It's super easy to be preoccupied with your present challenges or the things that you know are waiting outside when service is over. We come in with our anxiety, we come in with our depression, we come in with our ailments, we come in with all kinds of stuff fixed to us as burdens, And it would be easy for us to come into the presence of God and miss the presence of God for what it is because we're distracted by those things. But worship draws my attention away from all of that stuff on the one who can deal with that stuff. It fixes my eyes on Jesus. The way that the writer of Hebrews would say is that we need to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher, the perfecter of our faith. That we need to focus in on that. And that's the first thing that worship does. And so the people, they're gathering out, and now they begin to worship Jesus for who he is, and they're fixing their attention on him. And the second thing that you see here is how they go about doing that, or what kind of part of the motivation is, right? It says that they began to praise God in loud voices. Why? For all of the miracles that they had seen. When you and I begin to praise, when you and I begin to worship, our eyes are lifted off of all of those other things and they are placed onto the face of our Lord. And in that place, we are now reminded of all that he's done. They were reminded of not just what they had heard about, they were reminded of what they had what? Seen. They had experienced it. There was something that was being quickened to their hearts and to their minds and to their attention about who God is and how he has moved in their lives. The power of God demonstrated. And that is so important. When you and I gather, when we begin to worship, when we begin to praise, we begin to focus our attention on the Lord. And then all of a sudden, what is quickened to our remembrance is what he has done. And he has done so much. Even this morning in one of the songs that we were singing, it started talking about the way that the Lord fights our battles, right? That he's the one who fights. And, and you can be singing a song like that and kind of just be kind of going along with the lyrics or maybe you don't know the song very well and you're just, you're watching the screen. You're like just trying to make sure that you stay on beat. Like it's a struggle for me, pastor. I'm working on it. But you can hit a line like that that talks about the way that he fights battles for you and you can have quickened to your heart and to your attention the way that that is shown to be true in your life. If I was to pause and to sit and to begin to journal, hey, God, I remember when you fought this battle on my behalf, when you went before me in this injustice, when you made this type of provision, when this direction or this correction was brought about, and it wasn't by my strength, but it was by your spirit, you can begin to write those things down. And when you do, all of a sudden, your faith is increased. All of a sudden, the expectation of who God is and the fact that he could meet you in this moment and he could change your life and you could never be the same, it becomes more palpable, more probable because you are remembering what he's done. And so crying out in praise, singing out in worship, it fixes our attention on the Lord. It reminds us of the things that he has done. And many of the songs that we sing are testimonies. They're almost retold stories of what he has done. And if he did it, then he can do it again. And there's hope for me. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And those things begin to create faith traction in our lives that we can respond to in our present stuff. The stuff that did come in with us. The stuff that is real about our circumstance and the challenges that we're facing. 
But for this moment, I'm focused on the Lord, and oh man, I'm reminded of all he has done. And then the way that they responded to that, they were joyful, they were praising, they were worshiping the Lord, and then they began to speak out, and they were declarations of what they believed he was going to do. It said, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. It was a messianic statement. They were, they were speaking what they knew to be true of Jesus that wasn't yet something that they were walking out in reality. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Earlier, as Luke opens his gospel, you have the angels declaring at the birth of Jesus, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace. And now you have the people proclaiming as the king comes into Jerusalem, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. You've got this kind of this reciprocity of of, uh, uh, exclamation of who God is and what he was going to do. This idea of heaven on earth and on earth as it is in heaven. You see like kind of this full and this complete uh, bracketing in Luke's gospel of that declaration. And it hadn't happened yet, but they believed it was going to. And when you and I, when we worship, when we praise, when we, when we exercise that spiritual practice, our eyes go up on the Lord and we begin to be reminded of everything that he's done. And then all of a sudden we are full of a faith to believe what he's going to do that hasn't happened yet. And that's so important for your circumstance, for your challenges, for the stuff that's waiting for you when you leave service and you walk right back out the door where instead of walking out defeated and harassed and hurried, you can walk out in a confidence. No, I put my, my eyes on Jesus. I know what he's done, and I know what he's going to do because of that. And now all of a sudden, now all of a sudden, you're walking and living and acting out a life that's much different. And the fruit that's produced is different as well, isn't it? And so there's this connection between the way that we worship, the way that we praise, with solidifying and reinforcing what we believe in our hearts, that then we go out and we exercise it and we walk it out. Your voice is so important, both in worship and in praise and in singing and in prayer and in testimony and encouragement. Even when you look at spiritual gifts in scripture, about half of the ones that are listed are activity oriented, the other half are all verbally expressed. And so there's this primary import to your voice, learning to raise your voice, not in anger, not yelling at the dog or the kids, not in political opposition or debate or just kind of railing against the whoever they are's but in learning how to exercise our voice in a way where we're partnering with the things of the kingdom of God and we are seeing the kingdom of God let loose because of our participation with it. But whenever you and I are moved to respond to the Lord in worship, whenever you are motivated to offer the Lord praise, you will be met with opposition and it happened immediately here. In verse 39, it says that some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Tell them to be quiet. The goal here was to silence the crowd. And at the same time in silencing the crowd, you would stifle the joy and you would close out the remembrance and you would focus on something else. Everything shifts if that takes place. There was opposition that came here and the enemy looks to rob us of our voice. The enemy looks to rob you, rob me of our voice, especially and primarily and almost always initially when it comes to our worship and praise. 
Because if I can have my worship and praise silenced, then I won't be focusing on Jesus. I won't be reminded of all the great things that he has done, and I will not be motivated by faith to believe that he'll do anything. I will be stuck in my circumstance. I will be hurried by anxious thoughts. I will be overwhelmed by a cloud of depression, and I will be stuck there. And so there's something that happens when we begin to speak out, when we begin to worship out, when we begin to sing out. And so they immediately oppose. And it's too easy for us, and a lot of times we do this, it's too easy to look at this as just a Pharisee problem, right? That they're the, they're the religious leaders. And like the Pharisees, they don't, uh, in any of the Gospels, they don't actually look very good, right? So there's a, a deserved reputation uh, to be fair. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the religious leaders are almost always seen in the negative light. But you can go through all of the Gospels and you can find Pharisees and Sadducees that put their faith in Jesus as well. This isn't kind of a class distinction. This isn't a them and versus us type of an idea. What's really at stake here is not the Pharisees, but the spirit behind them. See, they loved God. They were zealous for Scripture. They knew Scripture inside and out. The problem was they knew scripture so well, but they didn't know the Lord at all. And they were described as having hard hearts, that their eyes were closed, that their ears were stopped up. It wasn't out of intention, but the hardness of their heart kept them from seeing and understanding what was taking place. There was a different spirit behind them that was pushing and motivating and opposing the things of God. And that's what's happening here. And when you unpack that type of idea in scripture, scripture will tell you that there is one accuser and it's Satan. There's one accuser of the brethren. The picture actually says that Satan goes before the throne room of God and accuses you and I day and night. And guess what? He doesn't need or want for material, does he? There's all kinds of reasons why we don't measure up, where we fall short, where we still align ourselves in rebellion. And sin. There's any number of things that he could pick in my life or in yours to say, hey, look, this should disqualify them which is why scripture tells us that Jesus stands at the right hand of the throne of God and he advocates for us day and night. As much as we are accused, he says, I covered that, I covered that, I got that, that's done, nope, that's, that's forgiven, that's, like, I did all of that. I died once for all, right? They put their faith in me, they received salvation, this is covered, that's covered, nope, put it on my tab. That that is kind of the, the back and forth that you see in uh, a couple different pictures in Scripture. But the point is, is that the accusation always comes from the same source, and it's always for the same purpose, to silence your voice. And you can see in the rebuke of the Pharisees, you can see that it comes with accusation. Jesus, rebuke your disciples. Tell them to be quiet. This is wrong. This is out of order. There's an accusation to this. There's a disapproval that you can hear and you can feel and you can sense. If you participate in this way, you're doing it wrong. There's a veiled threat that comes with it. You can literally sense the Teacher, rebuke your disciples, dot, 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 or else. And can I tell you, those, those accusations, those op oppositions that are looking to stifle this worship, to stifle this praise, it's the same stuff that comes to you and I that looks to stop up our mouths. When we are invited to worship the Lord, when we are invited to sing out in praise, and what comes in is something along those lines. An accusation. 
says that you aren't going to do it right. You don't actually even know what you're doing or who you're worshiping. You should probably just be quiet. A disapproval. You know what you did this week. You don't have any right or you shouldn't have any voice. The audacity of you to kind of worship a holy God when you know who you are. Like you could, like those, I'm hesitant to even bring that type of statement out because it's all too familiar language for many of us. The idea of a veiled threat that is if we would take steps to walk as men of God, as women of God, to move forward in the plans and purposes of God in our life, that what would be whispered to us is that it's gonna cost us something and I don't know if you wanna pay that. It's always the same, it's always the same voice. It's always the same voice looking to accuse and disapprove and to threaten you and I into not offering our worship to the Lord. It intimidates, it creates shame, and somehow says, you know what, we should just sit there and be quiet. We can listen, we can affirm, but we probably shouldn't participate. In Romans chapter eight, verse one and two, it says this. It says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. It's one of many verses that would suggest this, that when you have that accusation that comes that looks to silence your voice and to rob you of your worship and praise, you don't have to listen to it, accept it, or respond to it. You can dismiss it totally. And that's what Jesus actually does to, the, to the, the Pharisees here. He just says, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones are going to cry out. Listen, you are not going to keep God from being worshipped properly. All of creation does that. In fact, Psalm chapter 19 tells us that the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim his handiwork, that creation itself cries out in glory and worship and in majesty. God is not in want of praise. Did you know that? He doesn't need it. He doesn't need your praise or my worship. It's not something that he needs for uh, his, his own gratification. It's not something that needs for his own justification. He is who he is without my permission and without my participation. It's not some type of twisted narcissism where he somehow needs your attention or, or my attention. All of what he has created declares his handiwork. He is not in want when it comes to worship and praise, but we are invited to participate in a way that draws us into new and right relationship with him, and it changes us from the inside out. Worship will happen, listen to me, worship will happen with or without you, with or without me. But we get to be invited to be a part of it. We get to choose whether or not we're gonna be part of the chorus. And for each one of us, we're in different places and we're in different ways of maybe understanding what it means to worship and how to offer that to the Lord. For some of us, we may be in a place where we've been comfortable with our voice, but it's kind of, I don't know, raising hands, that kind of seems kind of weird. I feel like the pastor's gonna call on me and I don't know the answers. You know, I don't know what you think. Sometimes it's easier for us to close our eyes and raise our hands, but if we were gonna open our mouth and let any words spill out, like we're like, man, I just, I don't know if I can do that. Some of us are comfortable maybe singing quietly underneath our breath, but if we were gonna kind of raise our voice a little bit more, or if we were gonna sing or do that in a group or with, with others, like, man, I worship like crazy in the car with the windows rolled up, but if, when I come to church, like it's, there's all different places 
And all I'm suggesting to you is that the places where the enemy would look to accuse you and disapprove of you to somehow silence your voice, you need to dismiss that and put that aside and you need to take a baby step as would be appropriate for you to join the course. To join the course. To raise your voice, as easy as it is for you to raise your voice in an, at, uh, at an athletic contest, as easy as it is for you to raise your voice in anger, how much more easy should it be for the people of God to raise our voice in worship, to raise our voice in praise? We're gonna take a moment to take some baby steps this morning. Worship team, if you would come forward. Church family, I'm gonna invite you to stand. Jesus, in these next few moments, we choose to focus our attention on you. Lord, for hearts in this room that are carrying heavy burdens, that are dealing with difficulties, Lord, for people who have um, anxious hearts and minds, knowing that there are things that they have to walk through this week that are looming in front of them. Lord, for the very real challenges that we face, we choose to lay all of those aside in this moment. And Jesus, we fix our attention and our focus on you. And Lord, I pray that in these next few moments as we would worship you, as we would take baby steps of worship, baby steps of praise, Lord, that whatever would be stifled in us, whatever would be muzzled in us, whatever would be stopped up in us, that that would be released in the name of Jesus. Lord, that we would walk in freedom and that we would walk in faith. That what would rise in us is a desire, a motivation, Lord, to worship, to praise, to raise our voice to you, that our eyes would be fixed on you, that our minds and hearts would be reminded of what you've done, and that our faith would rise in expectation of what you would do, but that you would begin that work in us, that you would begin that work in us today. So Lord, we ask that you would unstop our hearts, unstop our mouths this week. Lord, that what would overflow out of our mouths would be our love and our adoration of you. Lord, that we would worship in spirit and in truth. Lord, that we would let loose our worship, that we would let loose our praise for our hearts and our minds. Lord, that are harried and hurried by the accuser. Lord, we pray that those voices would be silent and that what would rise in our hearts, our minds and our soul would be a courageous faith that worships you that worships you, Lord, that there would be a worship that flows out of our mouths and out of our lives beginning this week, that we would raise our voice in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I got three action steps for you this week. The first one is this. I want you to choose one worship song that's going to be your jam, right? You got to get a worship jam this week. Number two, Listen and sing along with that each day. Find a way to do that at least once each day and begin to raise your voice in worship this week.